Good evening, world. My name is Blaze Fitzgerald Ryan, and I am back like cook crack after taking a week off. Welcome to another episode of A24 OTR. That's right, A24 on the rocks. Tonight, I am drinking a Yingling traditional lager because I live in Florida, and that's our uh, state beer. Next up, we got... The state beer is a beer from Pennsylvania. Very interesting. My name is Paul William uh, Gibson, (laughs) and I am drinking the Canadian staple, Crown Royal, with a little Coke in it. Living my best life down here in Charleston, South Carolina for the moment. Up next, we got my boy Blaze. I'm sorry, Kevin. Oh, I mean, I I guess I could be Blaze tonight. That'll be my (laughs) Halloween costume. Uh, I'm Blaze, and I'm drinking um, PBR and... No, I'm not, actually. I'm drinking High West Bourbon tonight. It's a, uh, a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys, and it, it's from Utah, which is kind of a cool fact. Uh, and, yeah, let's talk about some movies. And last but not least, we have... Hey, it's Eric Kiska, and I got a Halloween drink tonight. I am drinking uh, that Jefferson's Ocean Age you all, uh, all you guys like, but I put some Mountain Dew Code Red in there, and then I put a splash of cinnamon on top, and it's, it's pretty good. Ah, you the monster. Old, uh, old wine monster. Jefferson aged. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did X Machina a few classic. weeks ago, you Frankenstein freak. <laughs> 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 Back to the matter at hand. Tonight we are doing the film called Dark Places, written and directed by Gilles Paquette Benner, based on a book of the same name by Julian Flynn. Um, Julian Flynn, she's known for the uh, non-trilogy trilogy, which includes Dark Places, Sharp Objects, and the much more known um, Gone Girl. This came out with a budget of $20 million. It was released in France on April 8th of 2015 by Mars Distribution. And the U.S. release after the rights were bought by A24 was on August 7th of 2015. Mixed reviews, and it did horrible in the box office. Only made $1.5 million back on the $20 million budget. I see 5.1. Uh, just... I said 5.1. Oh. I said 5.1. Okay. This movie stars Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, who were both in Mad Max together. A movie that I still have not seen and I feel terrible about. And then we have a couple A24 alums in uh, Christina Hendricks, who we recently saw in Ginger and Rosa, and Chloe Grace Moraz, who we fortunately had to see in Laggies. So the quick uh, rundown of this movie, uh, in case you haven't seen it and plan on the spoiler-free version. Uh, in 1985, in rural Kinnikey, Kansas, eight-year-old Libby Day is the sole survivor of the massacre of her mother and two older sisters. Responding to the police leading questions, she tells them that her brother, her teenage brother Ben, committed the crime. In the present day, Libby has made a living from donations sent by strangers to the little girl they saw in the news. With donations drying up, she's hard for cash, and she is approached by Lyle Worth to make a personal appearance at this true crime club. She reluctantly goes and answers questions about her past for $700, and the story unfolds from there. What is all your guys' poor names based on this movie? <laughs> it's a great first question. What was it again? Marford. It's your first pet and the road that you grew up on, right? Yes. Yep. Parker right. Marford would be mine. Ooh, that's really sexy. That's actually good. Yeah. 
Mine would be uh, Scruffy Territorial. Bullshit! <laughs> ah. Mine's Fred Pineview Drive. <laughs> and I'm Kelly Chickaloon, so... That's amazing. <laughs> Named my first dog after Chris Chelios, because he was never going to become a Red Wing. I guess... Oh. <laughs> Kelly, who is not here tonight, she's sick. Uh, she would be Nicole Pine Creek... Or no, wait, it's her... Okay, Zoe oh, Pine Creek Crossing. Pet's name. Yeah, yeah, Zoe Pine Creek Crossing. Now I have to go around the room and say that your mother's maiden name next. And then your social security <laughs> number. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Click, 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 click. Let's talk about that opening scene. It starts in the past in black and white, green footage. Um, what was your guys' first uh, feelings, your first vibes on the scene at hand and how it uh, played out through the rest of the movie? Kevin, let's start with you. So I thought it was a, uh, a home video at first. I was a little confused what was uh, I was looking at. I couldn't tell if it was like someone running around with a movie camera in the dark or what the situation was with that. Uh, and then you get the real close-in of the mother uh, saying that, remember, I'll always love you in a weird kind of odd smiley way. And it did set up a little bit of a suspense, I guess I'll say, because you can kind of tell that something was off from the way that she was smiling or something weird was going to happen. But I was mostly confused about the whole uh, first-person viewpoint and kind of where that was going. I mean, that was kind of my first initial thoughts. Oh, any any vibes? Uh, yeah, my first initial reaction was, I can't see shit. I don't know what's happening <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> what is, like, am I supposed to see something? Uh, I I texted the group and uh, to see if I was alone in this, but uh, after True. doing some reviews, uh, reading some reviews and stuff, I am not alone. This movie is dark as fuck, not emotionally, not because of the name, but just visually, I couldn't see what was happening. So I honestly didn't even know Christina Hendricks was in that first shot until uh, later when they like recreated it. And I was like, it's my girl, Christina, and I couldn't even see, see what was going on. But uh, so I... You know, it, my first initial reaction was I couldn't see, and I'm sitting there trying to like adjust the brightness on the TV and wondering what's <laughs> happening. So, <laughs> well, Eric, are you gonna lighten the mood? Um, not really, no. So I, I definitely went in, uh, went into this blind. Like I didn't really know much about the movie. Uh, and starts with the handheld camera. I thought it, they were trying to do like paranormal activity kind of thing. You know, I, I thought this was gonna be like almost a paranormal activity movie and then they switched over they progressed in a flashback they set up a normal scene the normal camera asking a girl in a white uh, gown who did this basically and the girl in the white gown is like a classic horror trope the exorcist the ring and so i i was thinking i was getting set up for a horror movie mm -hmm. but then it goes into the actual movie where we get voiceover kind of very film noir vibes we got charlize theron playing libby she is definitely the hardened person that had a really bad childhood. And, uh, yeah, I I was very confused at, you know, the horror to film noir vibes there. Yeah, I actually 100% uh, agree with Eric. I If I had not known what universe this took place in, I would have totally thought that I was, like, I thought I was watching the wrong movie when I first <laughs> turned it on, that first five minutes where it's, like, black and white POV. I thought this was, like, a Blair Witch remake. But uh, it definitely got, went... A, complete opposite direction once you started unraveling the story at least made sense towards the end of the movie i want to talk about uh the use of flashbacks in this movie um the last time we had real strong flashbacks uh such as this um it was the captive where it was super non-linear 
This one is a little bit uh, more as the the past like fills in the blanks as the story goes along. So, Eric, I'm going to stay with you. What did you think of the use of flashbacks in this movie? Was it effective or no? I think they they spent too much time in the flashbacks. Like, I I, I think at this point it was about half flashback, half you know current day, and they should have just chose to go with one or the other. I don't know. It just kind of felt off the whole time where. I, I didn't think they ever got a rhythm going with the flashback to the current day. Yeah, no, uh, that's makes a lot of sense. Uh, Cole, what about you? What do you think of the flashbacks? Like as the movie progressed, I kind of started to like understand why they were doing like the black and white grainy, where it was you know supposed to represent her her memory is kind of foggy or she's misremembering things, and I was like, well, that's kind of a cool artistic take. But the way that they do the hard cuts and some of the just the general editing to get to those flashbacks and stuff, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. I didn't think they do it, did a very good job kind of coordinating it to make it more seamless. It, it served its purpose to move the story along, but it wasn't anything spectacular. But I don't think it was anything bad either. I think it was just, hey, look at you made a flashback in a movie. Let's keep moving. It sort of served its purpose, is what you're saying, but it wasn't yeah. anything to write home about. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, this is a two-part question. So this is my second film doing a whodunit um, in a rural town. This is kind of weird. Feels like a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe I'm that guy now. Uh, what did you think of the setting? Like, Kansas, was it creepy enough for you? Was it noir-y enough for you? Because noirs are usually, like, in big cities, and this was more of a, a smaller town vibe, even though there were, there were scenes in Kansas City. But what did you think of the whole, like, the rural setting? I thought it was uh, a bit cliched, to be honest with you. The whole idea of the hey. farmer losing the family and losing the farm based on the bank and the whole, the way they stereotyped the small town in general, the scenes felt kind of out of every other movie that we've kind of seen from that era and that time as well. I don't think they did a particularly good job of making me feel like it was in the scene either. I guess as the movie progressed, every time they showed a farm, that was really about the extent of how I felt that they brought in the scene um, at all throughout the film. I uh, didn't really play too much into it, and I feel like I've read a couple reports where the novel um, does a much better job of setting the scene and making it feel a lot more like we're watching something that has this driving motivation behind it with family and farm and all that. But uh, it was anything that really grabbed me too much about the southern aspect of it and it kind of was just there for me yeah cool yeah so um as a uh a person that grew up in a small farm town and also at one point lived in kansas city um i could not tell you that this film ever took place one in actual kansas city and two that most farm towns are not like that granted i didn't grow up in the 80s so Maybe things were different, but I, like Kevin said, I don't think they, you know, they used the farm, the farmers getting, you know, pushed out of their land and losing their, you know, going foreclosure and all that stuff trope, but they never even really showed you the farm. They just said it was a thing, and then the movie gets way too jumbled and convoluted towards the end with all these different shit going on that we can talk about later, but yeah, just in general, it, I thought they could have done a lot more and done better. The yeah, the only other reference said. to the farm we get is when she's talking about, well, I can sell the animals, or I can yeah. sell the equipment. Yeah. Or the yellow we horse. We don't see animals. We don't see it took place in uh, Kinnicky, Just... Kansas, which I think that's a fictional place. You said wow. it took place in Kansas City, but well, yeah. She, 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 no, there's scenes in Kansas she, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, but she's older, not all of it she's does. In, like, yeah. 
Kansas City. Okay. And I was like, oh, yeah. waiting to see if I was going to notice anything. Never even saw a skyline or a cityscape True, or yeah. anything. So it was just <laughs> like, this could literally be any place in the country. Like, fuck, who knows? Should have done their establishing shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. But B-roll, it helps a lot to us yeah. the scene, for well, sure. Especially with all the narration they had in this film, you'd think they could have some B-roll added to yep. it. But... Exhibition, exposition dumps. Um, <laughs> so early on, we meet uh, Libby played by Charlize Theron, as I we mentioned earlier, and she seemed to have like lived her whole life off of this fame of this horrific event, and it doesn't seem like she has a lot of aim in her life or anything like that. But then she gets a letter, which letters come fewer and fewer according to uh, the setup of the movie, and she meets uh, Lyle Worth, who is part of the uh, the Kill Club, um, which is a group of, um, well, it really depends, because they kind of flip around what it is so the whole weird. time. But what were your guys' view of the Kill Club? Would you guys want to join a Kill Club? I, as someone who has a criminology background, I thought the, uh, the people that she met eventually at the top were really cool, but I also understand there's a lot of freaking weirdos. Eric, would you join a Kill Club given the chance? Do you think that's cool? Blaze, listen to me right quick. If you had a cock, you would be in pieces in my garbage right now. Parts I didn't use for chili. <laughs> if you were here, I'd tickle you right after I said that, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of fucking weirdos in here. That was an actual line from uh, the one of the guys in the Kill Club. Yep. Um, so, okay, I think that is actually kind of realistic. There's a lot of weird murder mystery people that think they can go on, like, go out solving unsolved crimes and people are really like into it really defensive about it i met somebody the other week she was like a 25 year old woman who you know likes disney films and stuff but then she told me she listens to these true crime podcasts where people are you know getting their heads chopped off and shit you know it's it's actually a huge thing uh that is pretty big in pop culture right now well i wouldn't want to be part of one of these i i get the interest in mystery true crime not to the point where you want to solve the crimes yourself that was actually like actually kind of a realistic part of the movie even though they made you know some of the lines that these characters said really fucking weird <laughs> oh are you joining the kill club with me when it comes to town or yeah so i mean the first level of the kill club looked like a great time i mean like it's a, this must be one of the best that was the like, club part of the kill club. well that's what like yeah. you know there's like industrial about, music playing yeah they're like hey you know join our little club we you know we call ourselves the kill club kc in kansas city we're you know k square kc square or whatever but then it, you realize that these guys are extremely well funded because you show up they're either having a rave downstairs or everyone's just like raving out to, I guess, slasher movies and stuff. And then you get to the next floor and it's everyone reenacting stuff and being a bunch of fucking weirdos and like Ted Bundy's running around biting people. And then you go to the next floor and it's like, oh, okay, so these are the people that are actually like somewhat enthusiasts. So they got like little, literally like levels that you have to walk upstairs to get to <laughs> in this club. Uh, I would join the maybe like the 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 first. Or like the third, the middle's kind of kind of strange with the guy saying he's gonna, you know, if he had a penis and stuff. But <laughs> uh, I mean, like I find serial killers and and their psychology and like why they did it and all that stuff interesting. I don't think I'm as uh, excited or into it as those people. But you know, I'll go and maybe watch a film or two with them. Why not? Uh, so cool. here's my opinion on this, whether you're going to ask me or not, damn it. I was totally going to ask you. 
I think that in real life I would join one because it seems more than uh, entertaining to me to kind of dig up some of the old past and not get overly obsessed about it where you're interfering with uh, the actual police side of things. But it, in this particular circumstance, right, if without them, our protagonist doesn't save the day. And so that was kind of important. What I didn't appreciate it is that they really didn't elaborate on it at all. And they just were only a small vehicle in the movie to kind of move the plot forward when they were the most interesting part for me. And that sucks because like that Lyle character didn't have a character. He was simply no. there to just put her back into the mystery. The entire Kill Club has this big overarching presence, but at the end of the day, all they're doing is just giving her some money so that she can go back on the case. And it just disappointed me. It was lackluster in general, and the idea was a lot cooler than the execution. The Kill Club, literally the, the whole point of its existence, existence was to uh, foreshadow upcoming events. So, you know, big foreshadow and drop right at the beginning and it was not hidden very well when they you know introduce him to the kill club because they're like hey we're tracking this this one guy that we think we're real close to nab and you know his he's got a very interesting name you might be you know whatever like foreshadow i wrote that guy's name down immediately because i was like well this is coming back and then yeah oh the angel of death yeah and they're like the driving (laughs) force is just uh yeah we'll pay you to exist with us i completely agree um I'm not going to do this the entire uh, podcast, but because I really hate to be the book nitpicker, but in the book, Lyle and her actually become like almost like brother and sister, like he was like her surrogate brother, and like the the whole thing comes to an end because she goes to his birthday party, and I think it's set up way better in the book from what I was told uh, in the research of this. My personal opinion, I would totally 100% join the uh, top level and the bottom level. I feel like it's spooky season. I could take my lady out to a nice little, you know, Jack the Ripper party. And then, you know, in the, the next week, I can, uh, you know, go solve a couple unsolved mysteries. Because even though I'd never solved them, I think, like Cole said, I like the uh, the mystery of what goes through a serial killer's head and these unsolved true crimes, how, how badly the police can screw up sometimes. Yes, Kevin. Well, quick fun fact: Jillian uh, Flynn was actually uh, made a cameo in the Kill Club. Uh, she was the uh, lady wielding the axe in the second floor, I believe. Was that the Lizzie Borden like ripoff? Yeah, mm. yeah. So that was that was our author, our book author. Yeah, she's ah. on the weirdo floor. Yep, <laughs> that was the weirdo floor. I I would never tell a person who suffered that much trauma. Um, I'd eat you in my chili if I didn't have a dick. <laughs> Reminds me of uh, Cartman in South Park. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I saw that scene. Scott Tetterman must die. Yes. So that, that, leads me, that leads me to my next uh, big point about this uh, film. Um, the lack of likable characters. I feel like I can run down the entire list of every character, and outside of uh, Antheandra, I think everyone is kind of deplorable in their own rights. Was there any other character that you did like that maybe I totally missed out on? Uh, Kevin, let's start with you. Was was having everyone so unlikable intentional, or was there someone? Were there generally good characters that I missed out on? You know, I think that it was a bigger concern is that there wasn't any real character development for me at all in general. So I didn't feel one way or another towards these characters because I didn't get any characterization from them. I didn't get any heavy emotion from Charlie Theron's character 
character. I didn't really get anything at all out of Ben's child actor. I uh, got a little bit from Miss Moretz. I think she did a pretty good job. And obviously, we've been talking about Cole's love crush over there. Uh, she did a fantastic job. I thought there was some moments yeah. where I kind of got some ju- some actual um, real row motion. But in general, I, I didn't really take <clears throat> anything from it. They were like you said, they were pretty unlikable characters. They didn't really have any redeeming qualities about them, and it fit the dark, brooding aesthetic, I suppose, of the film, which was dark in everything else. So they might as well kept it dark with that too. Yeah. So like Eric, there were obviously the characters you were supposed to dislike, like uh, uh, Runner. The father, uh, Chloe Moretz. So DeAndre's supposed to be dislikable. Ben, I guess, is supposed to be dislikable. Is, is there anyone who's redeemed themselves in this film, do you think? I think that, so this was kind of a poor script and a poor adaptation of a script. Mm-hmm. And like Kevin was saying, there was very little character development. But if there was a better script, better character development, I could see myself like liking Libby and Lyle being these, you know, pro- these two protagonists trying to figure out what actually happened in this crime but because they did such a poor job of character development you know it didn't make me like them at all yeah so yeah and like even ben's character as an adult is supposed to be likable but then we get the big reveal at the end where he's just protecting a murderer the entire time and it's just like oh well there went your only redeeming factor great now you're just a bald weirdo yeah ben is a grown-up he's like you know, oh, yeah, I read fucking Shakespeare now, and he yeah, puts his, his uh, arms out and has fucking Shakespeare tattoos. It's just like a very awkward line. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, I'm getting my college degree," and, and he says all this uh, to his sister. You know that where he killed his he killed his whole family, um, yeah. and, he, and he, he says made... like, "You you have mo- uh, mom's eyes," which is like so creepy to lead with that after knowing that uh, your sister suspects you for killing her whole family. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and cool. the most insane part about that whole interaction and that whole dialogue was this is the first time that those two have talked to each other ever since in, what, 28 years? Mm-hmm. She rolls up and he's just like, yo, you remember that horse yellow we had? Also fucking tatted up, love Shakespeare and all this stuff. And it's like, like it's, it's, it's like this was like the big buildup for them to meet and have maybe possible closure or kind of open the mystery and unravel it. And I was just like, this is weird. <laughs> I don't understand what's happening. Well, I, I, I will give the movie some credit for uh, making adult Ben. Um, you, can, you can debate what you want about teenage Ben, but I think they purposely made adult Ben uh, purposely ambiguous about what his intentions are because i really felt like at least from my opinion watching i thought the twist was going to be there was no twist and that he actually did uh kill his family so i awesome that would that that would have been better probably but he did it for libby to get her life insurance money so i mean i think like the fact that they like just kind of made him like this like not brooding but not like you know especially open person, especially someone who knows that he's innocent. I, I think they did that on purpose. I think there was an artistic merit to that, but I completely understand you guys like not liking his scenes because there was a, not a lot going on during them. So, I mean, you can do a little more. I think, too. He, he was Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man, and then he was also in a House of Cards where he kind of played he like a, a cokehead mm-hmm. politician. Uh, and so not not good casting to play this character, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's very true. 
let's go on to themes of this movie. Uh, this is one of the few uh, parts of the movies that I really felt they did a pretty good job at. Did you guys see any, like, outlying themes, overarching themes, uh, you know, tone setters that, like, the bigger picture of this movie was all about? So I'll talk about the satanic element of this movie mm. and how oh, it perfect. had a uh, pretty, you know, heavy-handed uh, plot and a uh, direct and way that this went, right? So they talk about the satanic... Um, What's the word? Not flight, but fright, I guess. We're talking about Ozzy Osbourne and all of the other things that were happening during the 80s. You saw a lot of that in uh, the popular culture at the time where you'd be blaming teenagers for things based on this idea of Satan taking over through metal music, through things like Dungeons and Dragons, um, and then church groups and women's groups and every other group that decided to throw their hands up in the air, the right and left otherwise, and blamed this Satanist thing. So I think they did a pretty good job of giving us that being the overarching reason why there was a witch hunt for Ben, for example. Uh, what I didn't think they did a good job with that was the ridiculous cow slaughter scene and, and mm -hmm. that whole campy nonsense. For a movie that wasn't trying to be campy, they just came off as just atrocious and just was not great. But the whole uh, other part of the satanic topic was well touched on, I thought. I, I don't agree, actually. Uh, I, I feel like, okay, while he briefly touches on how Satanism in the 80s, it was a big scare, there was very few Satanists that actually committed crimes. And I've seen the movie Hail Satan, question mark, which is one of my favorite documentaries. And it's about how Satanism was actually a, just a big troll on Christianity in order to uh, open the subject of freedom of religion in the United States, in order to open the subject of, like, for example, not putting the Ten Commandments in front of a courthouse, you know, making it so anybody can worship any religion they want. And just a few tenets of Satanism, uh, just to defend the Satanist. <laughs> One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. Number two, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. Number three, one body is in inviolable, but subject to one's own will alone. I'll just read those three. That's three of the seven. So Satanists are actually very peaceful people, and I felt like they should have portrayed that maybe a little bit more, uh, and maybe the book didn't do it, I don't know. But I think they're more talking about the occult. The occult was the people that actually did, like, blood sacrifices, killed mm -hmm. sheep and shit. That was not Satanists, so. Right, but I feel like the opinion of everyday mom-and-pop Kansas small-town folk would totally see that as being Satanists, regardless no, of where like, it's coming from. No they sh in modern day they should have at least like touched on it a little bit more i think that like satanism yes. wa wasn't exactly the you know like why all this happened you know no, I, I agree but, when you're doing yeah. a flashback movie you're right you should absolutely have the yeah. one side of the coin where it was everybody just freaking out and then the other yeah. side where they explained it more often you're right and they barely touched on it so i think yeah. they're 100% on with that one oh so i am also kind of on the eric side with the theme and stuff with this movie like, overall, it is like a, you know, a neo-noir type film, but it just felt like it was almost contradicting itself at times and changing the, the story. And, like, the, yeah, with, like, the slaughter scene was campy, and then we just talked about how we, they had the, you know, they're in the present time, and they're talking about the occult and Satan worshiping, and the guy's like, yeah, it didn't really happen. And then they flash back, and it's like, Turns out he was in a cult of Satan worshippers, but 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 then they like it, you know they just kind of flip back and forth and contradict each other, and I like wrote down 
all of like the the charges or different laws that were broken throughout this film <laughs> or like people were accused of and it it, it like was just like mind blowing it's like this is a, supposed to be a, a neo noir where there's you know a, a murder and they're trying to solve this mystery and stuff and then they just keep throwing in like well what if he's a pedophile well what if you know this person is a you know go, is like a missing person and changes their identity what if uh, you know they do animal mutilation what if they do insurance fraud what if they are satan worshippers what if they're a rapist what if they you know uh, fake their suicide or what if they do have a suicide what if they, you know, they murder? What if another person murders? <laughs> and it's not this murderer. It's a different murderer. And actually, there's like three murderers. And it's not the one that you think. And I'm just like, okay. Whatever. I do think they portrayed like a small... I, I agree with Kevin here. They portrayed a small town, uh, the small town paranoia. They they portrayed that pretty well in the 80s, I think. Uh, I, I, I think the acting wasn't all there to portray it as well as they could have. But yeah, like I, I do think the small town paranoia was very much a thing in the '80s, and I, I like how that was kind of a backdrop. But you know, they, they could have hit it home a little bit better. I feel cold on the whole contradiction thing. Like our main character was supposed to believe is a Satanist who is capable of murdering his whole family, but also volunteers in an after-school art program. Mm-hmm. So like, you can't try to convince me one way or the other. It just it wasn't well done. I mean, John Wayne Gacy was a clown for children, yeah, you know? That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> Just, I feel like the way they presented yeah, Ben weird, as the yeah. sympathetic character and, like, the way they well, did the whole thing. I, um, I do want to touch base on what you guys were all talking about because it's one of my points in my list. So I agree with all of you. I do think that Kevin has it nailed on the head about the small-town vibe of what they thought Satanism. But I also think that Cole and Eric are right in the what the philosophy of Satanism is and what it actually represents. So it's kind of the uh, the confliction of those two uh, philosophies, even though, I mean, they were kind of like the evil type Satanists, I guess, uh, in the fact that they, yeah. they slaughtered cows. And, you know, if anyone wants to tell me what Devil's Rush is, uh, I'll give you my DM. Sounds really fun. Uh, <laughs> I want to do a uh, touch base on... The big mantra of this film, I believe, um, from what I watch, is that the truth will set you free. This film is littered with liars throughout the entire film, and everything that they could have done would have been set free by simply telling the truth. We talk about uh, Ben, if he had just told them that DeAndre had killed his uh, sister, if the mom had just been open to her family about needing money to sell the farm. And I think the big uh, overarching theme is that Truth will set you free because everyone in this film is a terrible liar and they all get their comeuppance in some way or another. The other big thing that I got from this was that we create our own prisons and we must move on from the past because Libby, the character, as our main protagonist, we are supposed to follow her journey. And she, her brother Ben in jail says, you know, if you can't like, you know, move on from this, then you're in prison just like me. And I think that's a very um, astute point where, yes, childhood trauma is terrible, but if you don't spend any time working on it and working on getting past it like she didn't for 28 years, then your whole life is going to be a depressed, you know, loner-esque lifestyle. So I really do think there are important threads going through this movie. Just maybe they weren't, the scenes themselves didn't really like make it interesting enough if that makes any sense. Also, uh, the mother's quote, make a useful life, nothing big, just to start. And I think that's 
Libby's Road to Redemption. If anyone wants to comment on that, I know that was a 5,000-page essay, but... I think you're very right on, Blaze, that the intent of this movie and this idea of this movie on the surface is all very well to do. And those themes, while present, unfortunately, like you kind of mentioned, they just don't do a good enough job of bringing them to life in the scenes. And it just leaves me picking it apart more than feeling emotionally attached to anything that I'm seeing. It's like they took what probably was a pretty good book. I mean, it's apparently not as good as Gone Girl, but it is also still pretty well acclaimed and just didn't do anything with these great themes that you have. And you have a pretty good um, list of actors and actresses to put this together and you just fall short on it. So while I agree that, that there was an attempt to make it thematic and you don't feel anything while watching it, then those themes just drop by the wayside and you're left fishing for them in a movie review. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of this film was supposed to be on Charlize Theron's shoulders, you know, playing Libby. And she just seemed kind of bewildered the whole film. Like she never really got fully into her uh, character. And like, she's such a great actress too. She, yeah. uh, if you've ever seen monster, that's, that's an amazing film. She mm-hmm. is great at transforming into a character. And she didn't really do that for this one. She didn't really, you know, fully delve into the hardened person with childhood trauma in a film noir film. You know, that's very old character that uh, I feel a lot of people have done well and she didn't do it, you know? Well, and like the crazy part about, uh, you know, that is, you know, I don't know if you guys know the story about her or what happened to her when she was a child. Like her father showed up drunk and like started, you know, uh, you know assaulting her mom and they ran away and he started shooting at them, and the mom had a gun and shot back and killed her dad when she was a child. So, like, I didn't know that. Holy shit! Super crazy childhood trauma, and but I, you didn't feel it like coming out through her. And I don't. I I I, I blame more of the the, the script, yeah. the script, and the director and what was happening behind the scenes versus her because we've seen her time and time again just nail ro- like roles. And I mean, hell, she just fucking Mad Max Fury uh, Mad Max Fury Road came out literally like a couple months before this movie so the the idea that I don't know she did a bad job just I mean there was rumor that they were thinking about Amy Adams for the role mm-hmm. and that Charlie's Theron was the backup or the the secondary choice in that and she's also a producer on this film so it's interesting maybe there was some mm-hmm. sort of uh, conflict of interest or maybe she just didn't Amy Adams ended up doing Sharp Objects, which is the other, you know, uh, film that is from this author. And, yeah, she she was very good in that. Sharp Objects was a good film. And do you guys think that... So, Charlize Theron was 40, and her character was supposed to be in her 30s. Do you think that affected anything throughout this? They made her look younger, for sure. Yeah, 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 like wearing the hat all the time. Younger. Yeah. And the other thing, I hate to... I hate to go back to the superior book, but I really like, I think it's more of the script than uh, Shirley Theron's acting. When she's talking to her brother in one of the prison scenes, she's like, you don't know me. I've killed things before. And that's kind of like, just kind of left ambiguous. Um, in the book, she actually kills her aunt's dog when she comes living with her. And I feel like that would have been much a bigger, much bigger impact if she would have said that, left it ambiguous. And then like, since I had to go back to all those flashback scenes, maybe show that, to show that the aunt who was so cool during the flashback scenes, you make it wonder why, like, maybe why wasn't she with her? Like, there's a lot of things missing from the movie in a two-hour movie. Yeah, two yeah. hours, and you never, like, never see her living with the aunt, never see her growing up. I, I don't know. Like, right, and the aunt is supposed to play this big critical 
part in this. She's the one who gets the money mm-hmm. after everything goes down. And like we get almost nothing from Anne Diane. And it's just mm-hmm. like, what's the point of even making this character in your movie if you're not going to give her the time today to actually make it part of the story? Well, I mean, and that's like, so Christina Hendricks' character, the mom in, the, in this film, uh, okay, spoiler alert, she dies in the film uh, <laughs> at the end, but not, not, you know, because of the son, she gets killed by someone that she like hires for like insurance fraud and stuff because she's gonna essentially she commits suicide and throughout this whole movie that was probably the biggest shock to me was that she like willingly killed herself and did suicide because i didn't pick up on it maybe i was you know not listening close enough but it did seem like she was you know on the edge of just killing herself for her family i thought they were going to do something like fake a robbery or fake like arson and like burn down the house and it went horribly Mm -hmm. wrong but instead it's just no she literally planned to have this guy come over and just stab her and move and go on their way and what could go wrong there come some guy coming into your own house and killing you uh supposedly to give life insurance money to the rest of your family what could ever go wrong with that? Yeah, like, I, 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 <laughs> I do want to touch on that real quick, just because where this movie completely lost me is that scene. Actually, how many people drop the ball so terribly that it actually takes you out of the movie? This guy, the Angel of Death, who's like killed five hundred people. Now I know this is in the late eighties, but they definitely said that he started in the early eighties, so this wasn't his first rodeo. In what world do you think that you're going to get away with it after a kid runs out and you blast them in the back and you don't know how many other people? Like, why were the kids in the house in the first place if you're planning this? Does anyone understand? I I feel like if you're a loving mother who cares about your kids, you wouldn't have done that. (laughs) Period. Like, 100%. And he he would have heard them arguing and running around the bedroom when he walked into the house. He absolutely would have never gone through with it at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole, it was a clusterfuck from the very beginning, like that whole scene. And even before that, when we get that weird, like, when she goes to the house and she's running away from whatever, like, it was just terrible in general. And it was all rushed into the last half hour oh, of the movie and mm-hmm. just. That's ahead, even fun. That's funnier, even in my opinion. So, in what world in uh, Deandra's life, the one thing that cannot be told is that she is, uh, her daughter is Ben's secret love child. And the only person that she tells is her daughter. What is the logic in that? And then, Charlize <laughs> then they go through this, like, kind of like, I-, I thought it was kind of cool because it was, like, so cool as quarter. They had this, like, gun chase scene. And they go off in the woods, and then you just hear Lyle's voice yelling for her. Like, how did they not, like, be like, hey, I think someone's yelling for her. Maybe we should go back and blast both their heads off. Like, yeah. That is absolutely insane. Like going back, like if I saw, I don't care how much I love the person, if I saw them choke out my little sister, like why is the first thing, like the first action you do is throw her out of the room, right? Yeah, but like, yeah, that's the thing. So he just left her in the room after, so he already saw her choke her out once and then he got her off of her. Yeah, twice. And then uh, he just left her in the room and said, hey, get the fuck off of her, all right? You know, like. And then he, like, runs out of the room, closes the door, and just leaves her in there to choke her to death again. Like, and then, I, and it doesn't make any sense to, to me. And then protect her and ruin his life for 28 years. Yeah. Right. Because he's that good of a guy. And then yeah, your niece... Like, your niece who was... lying all these years. Your niece was... lying all these years, yeah. So he should, should get at least manslaughter. He should still be in jail, let's be yeah. honest. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. And... 
your niece gets away who was firing bullets at you and like, ah, she gets a free pass. You know? Yeah. Can I call you Libby? Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm so murder happened in 1985, right? The guy goes to prison for 28 years. Apparently, Charisse Theron lives off of, you know, goodwill for people for 28 years. Uh, his girlfriend, Ben's girlfriend that got pregnant, apparently has disappeared for 25 years. So she was still around for three years after he went to prison, but had a child that no one knew about. So apparently she was around with a three-year-old child. No one knew about it because it, she was gone for 25 years, 28 years. Doesn't make it, doesn't add up. Also, that child that is their secret love child, that chick was like 15, not yeah. 28 years old. That should have been a full fucking grown adult. That should have been me down there fucking blasting Charisse Theron, not some 15-year-old, like, teenage girl. Like, that that timeline fucking threw me for a loop. Also, just some other nitpick stuff. Uh, in the courtroom scene, they have the flags of the Kansas City flag up and the U.S. flag up. They're supposed to be flip-flop. The U.S. flag, if it's on a wall... It should always be on the right-hand side or the observer's left. That is just like it's a code. In every courtroom you ever go to, Blaze knows it. Come on, I like it's true. It's should, true. Should it. Like, what are we just can't believe you call that. Like, yeah, me neither. That's ridiculous. Although Mr. Juryman over here was just in a yeah, I was gonna say the only reason I knew about it was because I fucking was in a jury and I was bored out of my mind looking up stuff. I did write down the Oh, exact Mr. White, thing. science, bitch. Yeah, like, just, oh, one thing that this movie did get right, though, that I did appreciate was the scene where they went to the hazardous waste site and the person said that, you know, it used to be a uh, grasshopper bait area and it, it's full of arsenic now. And the reason why is because back in the day they used to, to, like, kill off grasshoppers and basically foreign pest control for grasshoppers specifically was a very heavy arsenic you know, based thing. So, hey, congratulations. You guys know how to fucking do some arsenic and stuff, but you don't know how do you do your own timeline with people and pregnancies and how long people are actually pregnant for nine months versus three years. Well, to be fair, it was Satan's baby. So, oh, also the oh, yeah. fucking Ben's girlfriend in one of like the key scenes where he's like, Is that my baby? She's like, I swear to God, it's your baby. I'm like, That means nothing to her because she's a Satan worshiper. So that means that she's fucking lying to your ass. That's not your baby at all. She should, she should be, you know, swearing on Satan, but she's swearing on God. So, yeah, okay, yep. it's not your baby. Move on. And okay, Ben was yep. in contact with uh, Deandra all these years. Didn't say anything to the authorities. Didn't say anything about, like, you know, what actually happened. Like, hey, here's my take. Like, he, he didn't say it when he was younger. He never filed for an appeal. So what's going on here? Like, he probably knew exactly where she lived because yeah. apparently he was in contact with her. He had, he well, had a tattoo of her on, on his arm. Probably. He talked about it, yeah. like, when he was chatting with his with uh, his sister. Like, hey, I was protecting a girl I never even met, and that was his, on, you know, his daughter. Like, this is what time. I think should happen. If he gets out, he should have to go live with his dad, uh, Runner, and then his dad should have to, like, torture him and uh, do say uncle to him, like, you know, every... <laughs> Every day for the what rest of his life. What a weird scene. scene. That whole Sorry, thing. Sorry, uncle. What the fuck? To your daughter fuck? that you haven't yeah. seen in 20 years. And well, like, like, even the earlier scene when he goes and asks for money and just looks at the girls and is like, your mom's a cunt. Drop the C-word out of nowhere. That's weird, though. Like, you can blame that and shit, but, like, you would think that the police would go by, like, her third alias. Like, you know, did they stop at her second alias? All that yeah. goes to that was, the and be like, that, was, that was her first alias, yeah. Because that's, it's like... <laughs> it, in, boys. It took, you know, Lyle and Libby, like, 
three weeks to figure all this out, and I, and they did it from a laundromat too. Like that, every film noir place has the place they set up their investigation, kind of. And this one was a laundromat, which kind of pissed me off. It was, a, a I don't know, just a really never underwhelming. Had any patrons at all? There was not a single. I thought there was person. people in the background. I no. didn't, I didn't see a no. single person in there doing <laughs> well, laundry. It was a whole front. How, like I was and it was supposed house. to be like a way to legitimize Lyle as a entrepreneur. It's like, yeah. Oh, as soon as flush with cash is in, I thought yeah. they'd be like out the door laundry. Like, not just this guy into true crime. I own two laundromats. Yeah, also, and apparently he lived at uh, home with his mother in the book, and that was a, a whole big to do as well. And they just kind of made him different in the movie. For uh, like three weeks of work, Charis their own, like Libby made eleven hundred dollars. Not anything. Yeah. Like that's not <laughs> that's not. Oh, it became it became more about the money though. Like that was the whole I thing. Know, it wasn't about you should the have money. started a union. You know, you're if this is your job, survivors union. <laughs> survivors <laughs> of unsolved mysteries union. If they got a three story club and building and stuff, they could fucking pay you a better salary than you yeah. know, eleven hundred. I would have went on strike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've talked about this movie uh, way more than enough. I think we've definitely gone the total blaze route, just went on five different tangents, uh, which I love, by the way. I think uh, Anarchy is great. Uh, Hail Satan. So let us uh, go down to our grades. Hail uh, Satan. <laughs> Cole, let's start with you, man. Let's let's hear that shining review. Yeah, so I wanted to really like this movie. I, I'm with Eric. I went in blind. And I thought, you know, the I, I like I like the noir films, and I like kind of these like dark undertone gritty movies. This wasn't it, so shockingly, not it. And also, I love Charlize Theron. I love Christina Hendricks. Um, the the even the kid that plays Ben, he's like a pretty decent actor. I mean, this is kind of him starting out. And the old Ben is is a very good actor. So they had like a pretty solid lineup and a, a good story, like idea that was extremely poorly executed to the point where it just got so convoluted and so messy and so just like, you know, in, in like video games and stuff, they talk about like feature creep where, you know, they like, oh, we're going to make this video game and it's going to have this, 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 and this, 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 and they just keep fucking adding stuff to it to the point where they never actually finish one of the objects to, to make it like a, a clean, crisp, like finalized product and that was what this film felt like to me where they just kept adding stuff that didn't need to be added and you what they needed to do was focus on the the you know the lyles and the lilies and the and the moms and, and focus on those characters more and let them develop instead of being like well what if they thought he was a pedophile and then what you know what if she ran away what if she had a child what if she needed to do insurance fraud and like they just kept there's just too much going on it got way too messy Especially for a two-hour film, like could have flushed it out better. Uh, overall, I do not recommend this film. I know that there are some people uh, that love this film, uh, especially on Amazon. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about Amazon it. Amazon reviews are great. But we'll yeah. talk about this. I got a great review for you guys at the end of Thanks. this one. But uh, overall, I think this is probably just a. I. I want I I want to give it like a D. I'm gonna give it a D minus twenty four. I I don't think it's an E, but man oh man, I I don't even feel great about giving it a D minus twenty four to be honest. I think it's not very good at all. But 
I don't want to be too mean. That's my spirit. All right, Eric, you got the uh, bouncing mushroom on your shoulder. Yeah. Um. So, I, I definitely, uh, I always tick down films a lot for sloppiness, and this film was sloppy in a lot of ways, and wasn't exactly as sloppy as Barely Lethal or uh, Revenge of the Green Dragons, but like the acting, uh, the script, how they adapted the script, all of the awkward lines in here. The little to no character development of this uh, film noir, you know, true crime mystery movie where character de- character development is key, uh, it all just fails. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a lot to say uh, more than that. I, I do want to give a shout-out to Adriana from The Sopranos, uh, Andrea De Mateo. Um, I was very happy to see her. So I'll give this film a slight bump over E to an E plus 24. Uh, so Charles Swan was an E for me. I'm I'm gonna give it a slight bump, and uh, yeah, that'll be me. E plus. All right, Kevin. All right. So, uh, I feel that this movie was done dirty by the fact that Gillian Flynn was so successful with Gone Girl, and that they hot shotted this in an attempt to make more money off of her celebrity at the time, and it just fell flat. Maybe it was because it had a different director and a different hand on it. And we've kind of touched on all of the reasons why we felt that way throughout this film. But it was dark and slow and plotting. There was no real consistency for me throughout the entire film other than it was consistently bad. Um, We touch on all the reasons why we thought that it was terrible in general. I'd like to add that I thought the dialogue was was just poorly written. It was ham-fisted. You could tell they had a lot to work with as far as inspiration from the novel, but then just simply did nothing with it uh, there was moments in this movie where i was legitimately writing what is going on on my notes i was cringed and just wanted it to be over i don't often look at the the time slider when i'm watching movies but this one i checked at least two or three times throughout the movie i just wanted it to be done with and i couldn't wait for the final ending to get there that's never a good thing when you're watching a film you obviously want to be feeling something throughout the entirety and i was feeling nothing but with cringe and i mentioned that we also talk about how you have a different lens of watching movie when you're doing a movie podcast or why you're watching the movie to review it so this is clearly falls victim to that but i was thinking the entire time again is we keep getting these movies that a24 picks up because they have a cast that's a-listers they have this big cast of people that should in theory make this movie a success and of course they have to wade through all the shit to get to the movies that everybody loves coming out now in the later 2020s but it's crazy to see them continually missing with some of these major A-list actors that just are not producing quality film I thought the soundtrack was non-existent the fact that we didn't even mention it once during this entire podcast means it was absolutely absent the entire time we didn't talk about cinematography once this entire podcast which also Mm -hmm. means that it was completely absent during the entire film Uh, we were more focused on some of the themes because we were basically grasping at straws because there wasn't anything real of substance to talk about. We couldn't even talk about the performances of our individual actors and actresses because there was no substance to grab onto. It was just two hours of plodding along nothingness that pretty much wasted my time. I'm going to give this a D minus 24, mostly because I don't believe in E's and F's are reserved for the bottom of the barrel. So <laughs> D minus 24, no recommendations. Moving on. Okay. All right. So I think we all uh, 
are kind of consensus in this film. Kevin said it very well. I think we definitely have to look at this film in a different light. I think if someone had just, if I had just seen this film on Netflix, I would have been like, okay, that was a movie, and I would have moved on with my life. The fact that I had to uh, watch this movie, prepare notes, do research, I think you guys all do great research yourself. Um, I think everyone does a little bit extra research when um, you host this, because you're the one asking the questions. I made that point in Cut Bank, so when I review a movie, I hold it to a higher standard than I even would in an episode where I wasn't hosting. So that being said, um, I felt like this was a great idea that was left in the oven way too early. I think Shirley Theron did really good with the script she was given and the scenes that she were given because the scenes were abrupt and they didn't make a lot of sense and the editing was choppy and the cinematography played like uh, um, like Days of Our Lives. It felt like soap opera to me. It was very A-B framing. Um, wasn't very inter- interesting. No over the head shots. There was, there was like, if it takes place in a rural town, I would want like, you know, more drone shots, more, you know, scenic shots, more, you know, establishing shots to see where we are. But it felt like the only thing that came back to me was her little cramped uh, room that she stayed in. That was the really the one big uh, that piece that really stuck with me for some reason. Good for- so, foreshadowing for the movie we're going to review in two weeks. Do room. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that being said, I disliked this movie. I really hated it. Um, the fact that it took place in 1985, so her family and brother couldn't even see the Bears win the Super Bowl was definitely, uh, you know, um, <laughs> definitely a sour note for Chiefs me. Fans, right? They could be. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. The Bears still suck. <laughs> um, anyways, just like the Bears, this movie did suck. So... Uh, <laughs> So I'm going to be with Eric. I'm going to give it an E plus 24 just because um, if it was, if I wasn't reviewing it, I don't think it would be this bad, but there was something there. They just never dug it up. So E plus 24. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, I definitely recommend you watch it just so you can follow along with our podcast. Uh, Like always, please remember to rate five stars, comment that always helps share on social media. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear uh, Cole's positive review from Amazon about yeah. this movie. Let's yeah. get this Amazon review in here. So speaking of five stars, I was very interested to see what type of person oh, yeah. <laughs> would, give, would give this a five stars. And it comes from my boy, Tony. Uh, so Tony is a verified purchase on Amazon, and this was his five-star review. This was an extremely well-directed, well-written, and I believe personally was a commentary on the state of just being human. If there is no redeeming quality to being an animal, which is what we are as human beings, merely homo sapiens, J-A-F-A, figure out the acronym and add animal to it. We are just animals, and that is what this movie is about. Just doing the best with what we have to be dealt with and wrap around an amazingly well-written whodunit. The ending caught me so off guard that I am ashamed that I am not ashamed to say that I did not see it coming. Although there is foreshadowing built into this movie and writing, as I said, this is very well written. I am, after all, an English minor, and this particular screenplay was well written. I think beyond literary devices, this movie speaks to the human condition of always wanting our children to do better than we did ourselves. Not 
bear, not merely building on what we were given them per se, but as human beings as well, being better than we are as well. This wow. part is in a response to the most critical review viewer reviews out there, as well as wanting our children to be better. This is a personal characteristic that many people have and is sometimes all, sometimes it is all they have and they can pass on to the world. This guy is not an English miner, I'm sorry. No, there's, yeah. <laughs> he goes on to say, I hate to say this, but this isn't the dumbing down of America, which is referred to. This is keeping down America. Many people will be able to relate to this movie because they can understand that the down and out feeling and the feeling of, I just can't do it anymore, and the feeling of, nothing I do is working out, and the feeling of, all I want is a chance <laughs> in this movie. What else you got? <laughs> and that, oh is the, God. that is the redeeming quality that at least three of the characters possess in the movie. The quality of never giving up until you just give up. It cannot go on anymore, and Jesus. all that is left is the He's wish of something going? better of those that we end up left behind and we are gone. Either way, this movie is a mystery, a thriller, and a social commentary all wrapped up into one, depending on which lens you lens you wish to view it through, or just as far as you wish to dig, this will decide which width you will be. However, whatever you to select, the one thing is that absolutely as far as I'm concerned is that you will not be disappointed. Sincerely, Tony Martinez, Master of Science, Human Resources Department. Tony, 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 Tony. 